have your Bible with you, there's one in the back of the seat, or you can just follow along on the screen. Has anybody had breakfast yet? I haven't. I don't see the, I don't see the picture back there, but you guys see some bacon, eggs, and toast and all that stuff. I should have brought some Snickers, right? The slogan, Snickers Satisfies, or something like that. So. This is a this is a topic that has been on my mind for some weeks and weeks. Maybe even before Pastor Kyle warned me that he was going to be gone and I'd have to be up here um, trying to find something intelligent to say. Um, and I thought I thought it, it I thought that it'd be good that I'd share it with you. Uh, whenever I grew up, those of you who don't know, I grew up as a missionary's kid. I grew up on the road all the time, overseas here and there. And, you know, as a, a teenager, young person, I came up with this uh, life's verse. How many of you have heard of a life's verse? Like somebody has a life's verse. This is the verse that kind of guides their life, and it's something that they go to for comfort or, or motivates them along their way. Um, but my, my, my life's verse will come in our passage shortly. Verse number 13 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, but I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Okay. Now, it wasn't a super spiritual life verse for me. I thought it was funny because I was going from state to state to state. It says, it, whatever state I'm in, there was to be content. So it's kind of a dad joke type of a life verse, <laughs> even before I was a dad. So um, I mean, like dad jokes. Like, I, I, I'm in Facebook groups that just pop up dad jokes all day long, so it's kind of funny. So, But we're going to talk about the, con the, the concept of contentment or, or satisfaction. Okay, and I'm not referring to, was it the Rolling Stones song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction? I'm not talking about that. So this is church, okay? So get your minds out of the rock and roll uh, world. So I know I'm the one that brought it up. So anyway, I'm just trying to boost my confidence a little bit with a few laughs here and there. <laughs> I, I do better behind I do better behind a guitar than behind the microphone. So it didn't, didn't show earlier. But before we get to the passage, I want to read a few verses from the book of Psalms. Just listen as maybe I put them up on the screen. But the first one is Psalm 39 or 36, 7 and 8. It says, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and shall be made to drink of the rivers of thy pleasures. Talks about uh, we shall be abundantly satisfied. Uh, Psalm uh, 63, uh, verses 3 through 5 says, Because of thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus I will bless thee, I will lift, uh, while I live, I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with the marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Uh, Psalm 107, verse 9 says, For he satisfies or satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Uh, these verses in the book of Psalm, in, first, before we get rolling, I was telling in, in our small group Sunday school, the last couple times that I preached, I had about two pages worth of notes, okay? I don't think I went too long then, so I've upped the ante and I've got like four pages of notes. So if I look up and I start telling stories and stuff, you need to point and get back to your notes because you've got a lot to cover. So, uh, but these verses, um, I'm, I'm just setting some expectations, okay? If you guys are really hungry and are not uh, distracted by the egg and bacon on the screen, um, maybe I should just talk really fast. Uh, these verses in the book of Psalm indicate that 
We should be satisfied with God, and the satisfaction or contentment is achievable through God's provision in our life. God, God intends to bring us satisfaction, okay? Um, how many of you have ever had a season of your life, and I'm in one kind of right now with work and different things going on, of being dissatisfied? You know, like I, I have. I, I, I go through these spells where life is really good, and, and I know my wife and kids are probably watching. They might not. They might be out in the garden. Who knows? Um, but I, like, I cannot be any more satisfied with my family life. So this is not anything like I, I love my family, my kids. We went on a hike yesterday, and I told you earlier. We just had a good time. We went last week up to Big Sky and hiked around, and just even around the house. Like, my life is really good. I, I love what God's done in my personal life. But there's certain, certain areas where we're a little bit dissatisfied. We're a little bit complacent or, or discontented. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. Um, Psalm 23.1, I think I'll have it up on the screen. It's, we've heard Psalm, the 23rd Psalm a lot, you know. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's, it's, not, it, 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 it's not saying I, I'm not going to desire anything. It's saying I won't be lacking anything. All of my needs will be met. I will be wanting for nothing. I will have food. If we all go to our refrigerator, most of us have some food in there. We have clothes. We have a roof over our head, most of us. And that's not what this is talking about. It's like the Lord is my shepherd. I won't need anything. I won't be lacking anything. Contentment and satisfaction is a righteous attitude and response to what God has brought into our lives. How many of you can recognize that God has brought a lot of things into our lives? So many good things. And contentment and satisfaction is, is what uh, our reaction should be to that. The Christian should be content with what God has provided to them in their lives. Now today, it's difficult to be content. Um, we're constantly bombarded with messages and advertisements and social media posts that are designed to deliberately make us discontent. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's what advertising is. Like, hey, you need this. What you have now is garbage. You need this new thing. Yeah. You know, that's what that's what advertisement does. They're trying to convince us that what we have is not enough to satisfy us, and we always need something different or better. You know, like that. That's I remember uh, as a young adult. This is few years ago, like I would always have the newest iPhone. Like I would stand in line and we would get the newest iPhone. And then shortly after I got married and realized I had to pay some bills, like what do I have like an iPhone 7 now? What is like an iPhone 28 or something? You know, like, <laughs> like, like I, I, I kind of changed my, my attitude towards, you know, the fancy things and was learning to be content with something a little bit less than the brand new thing. Um, and, and that's what the world, and that's what advertisement, and that's what everything around us is designed to do, is to grab our attention and make us discontent so they can have our dollar, yeah. or they can, they can have whatever that they want from us. At best, this is the world's attempt to get our money from us, and at worst, it's a satanic attack trying to rob us of our joy in the Lord. That, that's, what, that's what a lot of this stuff in the world is doing. It's it's Satan trying to rob the Christian, the believer, of the joy that they have in Jesus Christ. Now, if we look at uh, Philippians 4, we'll read through a few verses here, and then we'll come back and we'll dive in um, at a few separate verses. So, if we'll look in verse number 1, it says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Eudias, and beseech you, Syneche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. 
And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, which Clement also, and with, of, uh, <clears throat> and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be, known, be made known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have heard, both, ye have heard, both learned and received, and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last year, uh, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that, I not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, in this passage, Paul tells us that he was able to find contentment. It would, be one, uh, it would be one thing for him to say he's content while preaching to thousands and traveling around the known world, seeing many uh, converted to Jesus. However, this is not the case. He is imprisoned and writing from some of the most inhospitable conditions. Could you imagine um, being locked up in jail and saying, I'm content, like I'm satisfied, I'm okay right here? Could you imagine that? Most of us couldn't, you know? Um, but that's what Paul is saying, and, and we'll find out that his contentment is not found within the four walls or, or whatever the conditions of the, 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 the prison he was in were. Um, he is, he's even prohibited from doing what he wants to do, which is preaching the gospel, and instead he is inevitably awaiting execution, and maybe not this time in prison, but eventually um, that's what he's waiting for. Yet in verse 11, he states that he is content. The definitions of contentment and satisfaction contain the sense of having enough and needing nothing. For the Christian, it is even an act of worship because we should be grateful to God for the things he has provided for us. Contentment is not just, okay, I'm okay where I'm at. It's a, it's a heart of gratitude and thankfulness to God as well. You know, for the Christian, it's an act of worship. He, he has provided all these things for us. Worshiping the Lord and saying to him, thank you for all the things you have given me, should be the prayer of any believer, any Christian. Now, if we go over to Matthew 6, like you're reading a lot of Bibles. Like It's got a lot better things to say than I do. The Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure you've all heard about the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount but we're going to read a little bit about it. Starting in verse number 35, Jesus himself describes some of the most basic forms of contentment. Matthew 6, verse 25. Let me find my Bible. Matthew 6, verse 25. 
my place here. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet your for your body that ye shall uh, what ye shall put on. It is not is not the life. I need to learn how to read. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Ye are, not more, are ye not much more better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Uh, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which to which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, he shall not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles, or, or the world, seeks. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall be uh, shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. This passage describes contentment of the most foundational form. It's it. This is righteous contentment. There is um, there is unrighteous and sinful contentment found in the scriptures as well. Um, contentment with sin, contentment with less than complete obedience, contentment with doing nothing for God. Even um, in the story of Jesus Christ's crucifixion, Pilate, he made a decision to sentence Christ to death in an effort to make the people content, is what it says in Mark 15. This is not the contentment we're discussing here. We, uh, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that there's so much discontentment in the world and society because they're largely without God, and true satisfaction can only be found in God. Sure. How many recognize that the world is largely without God? You know, and, and we should we should be we should have a heart for them, and we should have a heart for the world that they should know God, as most of us do in here. But true satisfaction can can be found in God. As Christians and as believers, we should guard ourselves from discontentment that the world so skillfully pushes on us. It's so easy to be caught up in the dissatisfaction of the day. Um, when you just think about it, our lives look quite a bit different than just even a few years ago. You know, two, three years ago, um, our lives look a lot different. Um, we're facing all kinds of new problems that we've never seen before. Some, uh, you know, some that would never even been thought of just a few years ago. We're facing all kinds of problems. The economy is putting a strain on our way of life. There are concerns about how our children will be educated. There are questions about the, the world our kids will even face as they grow up. And all of these questions and worries can easily lure us into an attitude of discontentment. Uh, we can think, of, I wish it was like the good old days. Like, why can't we go back to pick the year that you thought was the best year? You know, um, it's, and it's so easy to be discontented with the life we're in. We must guard ourselves from that attitude because if we are discontent, we are discontented with God. If we're discontent, we're discontented with God. 
The attitude that says, God, I don't like what you're bringing into my life. Your plan doesn't make sense to me, and I don't trust your promises to me. That's what we're saying when we're discontent with where we're at. Discontentment is an attack on God and all that he has promised to do for us in his world. This is why it is such a poison in the heart and life of the Christian. But what does, what does contentment offer us is, is what, what I'd like to raise right now. First um, Timothy 6, in verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can, can, we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. You know, and, and before I get into the real meat of the message, and you think you're not in, in it yet, Isaac, um, we're going to get into some points that are a little bit more actionable. But I don't say these things to say, hey, just suck it up and live your life. That, that's not what I mean. We need to be content where we're at. Doesn't mean we can't move out of it. Doesn't mean we can't improve. If, if we were just content and just said, hey, I'm just gonna be here forever, I'd still be you know, working in a, in a restaurant waiting tables, you know, making, what does it make, 2.13 an hour or something like that? You know, that, that's, that's a different story. You know, we, we can have aspirations and hopes and things like that. I, I, I can't remember if I said it. I said it this morning to my wife as, as I was leaving. You can pray for them. Uh, my daughter had a big, uh, a high temperature last night, and that's why they're not here. Um, but I was, I was discussing a few things that I was going to say, and I said, I, didn't I don't think God brought you in my life, Anna, until I was really content with being single. I, I said, it, it wasn't until I was just okay where I was at until God brought her into my life. And I, and I think sometimes we get so dissatisfied with where we're at that sometimes God says, okay, you need to sit there for a bit until, until you're okay before he lets you, know, you progress or maybe even he brings something. Way, I, I don't know how many times in my life I kind of got to a place of contentment with even something really small, like, you know, whatever. And then God just gives me something that I would have never expected out of left field. But I came to a place of being content and being okay with God's plan for my life. But um, Timothy says, godliness with contentment is great gain. With the stock market going down, it wouldn't be great to have some gains in our life. How many of you have been watching your 401k? Or like, I try not to. Um, it's not pretty. But I think, okay, if I'm contributing, then I'm buying it cheaper. When it goes back up, it'll just explode. So there we go. Positive, positive thinking. So you may ask, Isaac, how do I learn to be content like Paul? And that's a great question to ask. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> to learn this, we should go back to our text in Philippians and see what Paul did. If you look in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, I should probably have a bookmark. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Paul found some of his greatest joy on earth with people. In that first verse, he just talks about his dearly beloved, his joy and crown, and his, he says again at the end, his dearly beloved. If we learn anything during the pandemic, I hope that we learn that we need people in our lives. Yeah. You know? Um, 
while the resulting lockdown here in Montana didn't hit as hard as other places, there were some places that saw depression and suicide rates go up where the lockdown was the most severe. Humans were made for community and Christians are made for fellowship with each other. And I think, I think the point was already up on the screen, but it says that we need to find joy in fellowship with fellow believers. We're, we're made for community. In verse 1, Paul says, dearly beloved, twice. He's encouraged by the people. He longs to see them. He calls them his joy and crown. And in verse 3, Paul even he addresses his true yoke fellow and fellow laborers. And if, if we look at verse 18, he speaks of Epaphroditus. And Paul is reaching out for fellowship, even from his jail cell locked away. He's trying to connect with the body of believers, and he's drawing joy from, from that, even that distance fellowship. You know, Christians and the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. Alone can be a very dangerous place, and sometimes, sometimes we need to be alone. It's usually for a short period of time to maybe gain some clarity or to decompress. But that's not the long-term plan of the Christian's life. The Christian's life should be one of engagement with other believers and, and drawing joy from each other. Even, even though Paul cannot physically fellowship with his people, he reaches out and he expresses his love and he encourages them to get along with each other. And he's finding joy and fellowship with the believers. If you want to know how to be content, you need to learn to be content and to draw joy from your fellow believers. And that's one way that Paul did. Uh, another thing is that joy needs to be developed. Uh, if we look at verse number four, flip the page. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, this sounds a lot like somebody telling you to be happy. I, I think about, you're going to eat your vegetables and you're going to be happy about it. How many of you have ever said that or thought that about to your kid? Or maybe it was said to you. Like, eat your broccoli and you're going to be happy about it. Does it ever work? No. no. <laughs> they, they usually don't eat and they maybe throw it back at you sometimes. I don't know. But Paul is reaching out. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I went too far up the page. Um, when, we, uh, when we think of an expression of joy, it's usually not something that's planned. It's usually spontaneous, right? When you think of joy. Like, um, you know, sometimes, um, where was I going with that? Anyway, I'll go back to the notes because it'll be shorter this way for you guys. Um, many times, this kind of joy is tied to circumstance. However, real joy exists independently of our circumstances. Paul, while sincere in his joy, is saying to the church that contentment comes or contender is that joy must be intentional and deliberate and this instruction to rejoice is an attempt to create a deliberate attitude of rejoicing we talked about it in our small group or our small group session how sometimes there's things that we have to develop um, a discipline of doing and joy is, is no different I mean I don't know for those of you that have been coming here a while you can tell that when I'm up here leading worship sometimes, like, I, I get more joyful than other times, you know? If you see me doing this, 
That usually means I'm really excited and I'm into the song, but I still need to focus on playing the chord. You know, and if you, if you see me, you know, walk back and forth. Usually that's just nervousness. But if you see, like, if you see me, like, tap my toe or, you know, do this a little bit, like, I'm just, like, trying to hold it in and stay focused on the song. But, you know, and, and that's not something that's put on, you know. I, I, I try not to get up here and be anything other than I would normally be if nobody else was in here. Like, that, that's my attempt. And it's, sometimes it's difficult. But um, what that is is that... Sometimes in the morning, I have to deliberately tell myself, it's like, Isaac, don't get too worried about what's going on. Don't worry about missing the chord or, you know, somebody missing those slides in the back or whatever. It's like, just, just worship, just enjoy, just, just have a good time and, and, and rejoice in the Lord today. And there's other times where everything goes right, but sometimes my heart is just kind of flat. You know, it's like, okay, everything went right. I hit all my chords. Everybody sang. Everybody, you know. I could see Jackson down here playing his air guitar, and, and I could hear the kids singing off key, and it was a good day. But like my heart was kind of flat, and that's because I wasn't deliberate about having joy in my life. We must, we must develop a joyful attitude that transcends our circumstances, and it, it isn't manufactured or fake. We must develop that relationship with the Lord that makes it easy and authentic to rejoice. We need, to, we need to develop that in our, in, our, in, our, in our life. Paul's not saying, he's not commanding, rejoice whether you like it or not. What he's saying is like, just you need to focus on rejoicing. You need to focus on having an attitude of joy. The next thing I want to point out is if we look at verse 5, it says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The word moderation carries the sense of a gentle spirit or patience. Um, there's a Greek word here that I wrote that I'm not going to try to pronounce, which means reasonableness. And some have even translated it sweet reasonableness. Paul is telling the church that they should be marked by a lack of bitterness or retaliation or causing strife and by being gracious and content. They should be marked by those traits. What is it that our church here, Whitehall Baptist, is marked by? What's your family marked by? What are you marked by? And by accept less, um, it's a lot more effective if we're marked by graciousness and kindness instead of being argumentative and demanding. If we're always demanding things, if we're already always standing up for our rights, if we're always protesting for what we think we deserve, for we should have better health or wealth or status or leave a legacy behind, like we demand all these things, it's easy to get discontent. Yeah. It's easy to say, hey, I wish I had, and so now my life is bad. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. <laughs> um, Maybe I'll remember it next time. Um, if we're demanding something from this world, what are we depending on? If we're demanding something that our boss or our spouse or our kids or our friends or society or the government or whatever, if we're demanding something from them, where's our faith in God? Where's our dependence on God? Are we willing to let God be God 
and trust all that he has trust that he has all things under control is it is it okay to want and even pursue things it's okay that, that's fine i said it before but we must accept while we're here what god has for us even if it's less than what we want and we should let him open the doors for us and a lot of a lot of people will translate that as just sit around and do nothing that's not what i'm saying it's okay to pursue things but we need to be content where we're at. And a lot of times, in my life at least, that's when God has brought the breakthrough in a career or, or some hobby or something is whenever I just, I'm okay. I'm enjoying where I'm at right now. Just let him open the doors. Contentment comes to those who love fellowship. They develop an attitude of rejoicing and accept what God provides. But also... They that trust in the Lord. If we look at verse 5 at the very end and, and part of verse 6, it says, The Lord is at hand. Now, when Paul says the Lord is at hand, he's not saying something about like the second coming or Jesus is coming back soon. And a lot of times in Scripture, that's what that means. But what he's saying is that the Lord is near. He's close to us. He's beside us. And, and when we combine that with the beginning of the next verse, it says, Be careful for nothing. This isn't saying that we should forsake all caution, but that we should not be worried. We should not be anxious because the Lord is near to us. We shouldn't be anxious. You know, we should not, why should we be discontented? Jesus Christ is with us. For the Christian, he lives inside of us. This just doesn't mean that he is close by, but he, li he, he li literally lives within us. On top of that, he said that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us. He knows what we are experiencing. He knows what we need. He knows what we are feeling. He stands beside us the entire way. And why can worry, and what can worry do about it? What, what can worry do about anything that you're dissatisfied with? We need to confidently trust in the Lord. The, the real question is, can you trust God? Will you be okay with how he answers? You know, we, we, we read about how worry won't do anything in the Sermon on the Mount that we read out of Matthew. Like, the, what, what can your thought do to add another inch to your height? You know, what, what can it do? I'm 38, almost 39 years old. I don't think I'm going to hit six foot tall. I, I don't think so, all right? Even though I wanted to so badly, and I even for a while I budged on my driver's license that says I was 5'11", but I'm 5'10". <laughs> my worry can't change that. But we need to confidently trust in the Lord because he is with us. How do, we, how do we drop all of our care and our worry and anxiety? Let's look at verse number six. It says, be careful for, for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We cast them on Jesus is how we can get rid of our care and our worry and our anxiety. Uh, Peter says that we can cast our care on Jesus because he cares for us. Instead of letting our doubts and our questions about God circle around in our worrisome minds, we should take those things to him and leave them at his feet. It says, pray in everything. Do you see how universal that solution is? Like, it doesn't say pray and then has a whole bunch of bullet point conditions underneath it. It just says pray in everything. You know, it can be a solution for so many things if we'll take advantage 
advantage of it. Paul says, in everything by prayer and supplication. I think I'm on my last page, so you guys are, you can see the tree line. <laughs> What's the result of just even verbalizing our problems? Let's, let's take God out of the equation. A lot of times, just letting your words out is helpful. It's just getting them off your chest, you know, even to the side of a mountain or to a spouse or to a therapist or something. Like, just even getting it off your chest is helpful. For most of us, it can be therapeutic. But, but knowing that you've taken your trouble and your care and despair to the one who has all the power in the universe can be life-changing. If you look at verse number 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you want to have the peace of God in your life? Then you need to pray. Peace comes and far surpasses our understanding. Peace, contentment, and satisfaction, they all go hand in hand. The book of Romans talks about peace with God. Um, which comes at salvation. The debt of our sin has been satisfied and our relationship restored. However, the peace of God comes when we allow him to carry the load of all of our anxieties and our fears. This is, this is what is incomprehensible. There's a first word for Nick. Incomprehensible. There you go. Way better than Chernobyl or whatever you were saying earlier. Um, inside joke. You have to come early to church to get those types of things. Um, but that peace with God it comes at salvation but the peace of God comes when we allow him to carry our load and we put that load on him and it's incomprehensible when we experience it the last principle um, what I want to share is found in verse number 8 now this is a pretty well known verse for many people who uh, grew up around church it says finally brethren whatsoever things are true what sort of things are honest, what sort of things are just, what sort of things are pure, what sort of things are lovely, what sort of things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And I'm not going to go on the power of positive thinking, you know, uh, thing right now, but this is an, a very important principle. We must fix our focus on good and godly things. Um, that's what I like about getting out into nature and getting into the mountains. You're surrounded by God's beautiful creation. Another positive of being in nature is that it usually, um, there's no cell service or cell reception or internet. And you're forced to focus on the positives in a way. Unless you're, you know, unless you're out of shape like me and you get, you know, three-tenths of a mile in and you're just like, oh, we're we almost there. <laughs> I can usually go a little bit longer than that. But... Like, you're not bombarded by the cares of this world, you know, by and large, other than maybe, you know, hunger and, or missing family or whatever, if you get out for a long time. But, but you're, you're just surrounded by good things, you know? It, it's nice to just look at God's creation. Um, some people were down in Utah this week at Zion. Like, Zion's beautiful. And you go up to Glacier, you go to Yellowstone, or, or, or in, a num any number of places in these mountains around us are you know, aren't far behind some of those national parks. And, and you just get around these good things, and you just see how great God is, and you're not bombarded by the negativity of whatever the election cycle is or whatever, you know, this fancy doodad that you don't have that you now want because you just now saw it. You know, it's like you're not bombarded by these things, and you're just surrounded by good things. 
you're almost you're 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 almost forced to focus on the positives when you're out in nature. Um, you know, being in church sometimes can be that way. If you just kind of leave your mind out the door and you just fellowship with people and you focus on God's word and you focus on the good things and, and the singing and you just kind of let it out, it can be that way. Verse 8 speaks of thinking on things that are true. What are the lies that are in your mind in your life right now? What's, what's not true in your life? What is, what is honorable or, or worthy of respect? What is right? What is righteous? What is lovely? And for the husbands, this is where you look at your wife and say, I've already been thinking about you this whole time. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, what is of good report or praiseworthy? What's good news? What's virtuous? If there be any virtue, what's virtuous or excellent? These are the kinds of things upon which we must intently set our affection or our attention. It, it's so easy to focus on the negatives. Like I, we're hardwired sometimes just to go to the negative, to worry. We have to set our, our minds on the things that are positive, the things that are valuable, the things that are, are, are useful. My wife and I are drastically opposite. Like she's a worrier, and then I don't worry to a fault. You know, like, oh, it'll be okay. You know, it's like, okay, our bank account is, you know, negative however many, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, it'll be fine. And that's not good either. Like there's, there's, there's a good amount of worry that you have to have. But like I, I don't, like I, I try not to focus on things that will make me less productive or that will cause my attitude to go sour. Like I try to do those things and, and I, sometimes I go too far the other way. But if we are focused on the news or on social media, on politics and the chaos that the world pumps into our minds, we're destined to be discontent. And we will steadily or even rapidly lose our joy if we focus on those things. When Paul says, think, he's not saying just let it pop into your mind. He's, he's instructing us to consider and evaluate these good and godly things. So it's not like, okay, bacon is good, I'm going to think about that. You know, It's like, oh, church is good, I'm going to think, you know, okay, cool. Good job. But what's, what's, what's good about church? Like, what's good about your family? What's good about your employer? What's good about whatever that God has brought into your life? And consider those things. What, what's good about even some of the deeper things in, in church? When, when the, the preacher or whoever says something about reconciliation, what does that mean? That's a good thing. That means that we're reconciled. We were once far from God, but now God drew us nigh, and now we are reconciled. What's what the definition? Like a res restoration of a good relationship with someone? Like, have, have any of you ever been ostracized from a family member or a friend, but then there's some moment in your life where, that, where whatever was in between is out of the way, and hey, we can hang out just like good old times. You know, I, there's, a, there's a guy in my, in my wedding party that was a good friend of mine for a few years, and then we just lost touch. And then, you know, I got a little bitter because he didn't reach out. And I was like, well, I could have reached out. And then, you know, he sent me a letter or a, a card out of nowhere a few months ago. It's like, hey, thanks for letting me do this, you know. And he was a Marine like I was a Marine. And we, he said a few things. And then, and so I spent like a week trying to get his number. And, and I called him. We talked for a good while. And, and it was sweet. There wasn't like necessarily anything bad between us. But, you know, there's, we're a lot closer than we were before. 
And there's a rabbit trail just to say, like, like consider these concepts that the pastor is talking about, or that you're, you're hearing about in small group, or whatever, whatever you know, you know, Christian podcast, or whatever you're listening to. You know, don't just let it flow in and flow out. Stop about it and think about it and consider it and dissect it a little bit. He's instructing us to evaluate the good and godly things. I can promise you, though, if we would turn off the news and read our Bible and take nature walks every day for a week, we would be thinking a little bit differently by the end of those seven days. Would, we, would you agree? Yeah. Like, you know, in, in a much better way. Now, can we be monks and hermits and ostracize ourselves or, or whatever to, to the backwoods? Most of us, we couldn't afford to do that. You know, most of us couldn't. We would ruin a lot of relationships and it wouldn't, in the long run, be a good thing. Um, but we need to deliberately foster positive thinking habits. Discontentment and dissatisfaction are, are a result of negative and unproductive thinking habits and they steal our joy whenever we let them get out of control. Now the words that you've been waiting for to wrap things up. <laughs> Let's look at verse number nine. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, just knowing the recipe, you know, for whatever your favorite dessert is, and having all of the items in your cabinet really doesn't do anything, right? Like, I've got the strawberries, I've got the cream cheese, I've got the milk, I've got the sugar, I've got the graham cracker crust. I like cheesecake with strawberries. <laughs> um, just sitting in there, it's not going to, like, you're not going to be able to enjoy it. You have to combine those things and put them into practice. And knowing the recipe for a contented life isn't enough to help you be content or satisfied. We must let these principles shape our actions and habits so that a joyful and contented life will be the result. If we hop down to verse number 18, Paul says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell and a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. In spite of being imprisoned, Paul says that he has everything he needs and is full with God's provision. I, I, I have a hard time even imagining being imprisoned. Now, prisons back in you know Greek and Roman days are a little bit different than the resort prisons that we may have now. You know, And I haven't been to all the prisons. I've only been locked up a couple times. Um, <laughs> maybe just once. Um, but I, I couldn't imagine just, like, I couldn't imagine being content if I was long-term uh, awaiting execution eventually to be content and satisfied with my situation. I imagine the food back then wasn't that great. Yeah. You know, I, I can imagine that sanitation was pretty much non-existent. I can imagine that your company was, you know, not the best, you know, people that aren't uplifting and, and edifying being your cellmates. I don't imagine that was the case. But to be sitting in that situation and to be able to say in all earnest and honesty that I'm satisfied with what God has for me, I, I, I have a hard time comprehending that, and I think you do too. 
And so if, if Paul, even though he's a great, um, great man in the Bible, he's a, a human being just like the rest of us. If Paul can find that, then I think we can find that too. I think if we follow the things that he wrote, that I, I, I jotted a few thoughts down on too much piece of paper, too many pieces of paper, that if we take these, we take these things, and we, it doesn't have to be maybe all at once, but we take one a week or one a month and we start applying these things to our life. How can I be satisfied? You know what? I'm going to make an attempt to fellowship with the believers. It doesn't mean you come, you know, two hours ahead and hang out or whatever, but come ten minutes early to where you can, like, does anybody on this side know the names of anybody on that side or anybody on the back know the names of the people in the front? That's a start. I'm Isaac, by the way. Nice to meet you. I'd be glad to talk to any of you anytime. Like, I'm usually running around wrapping things up, but if you ever want to talk, like, I'll be glad to talk and meet you. But get to know some people. You know, people enjoy their work whenever they get to know people outside of work a little bit more, and they have these inside jokes and whatnot, like anti-disestablishmentarianism for your son's first word, you know, like something like that. Um, but, but take one of these things and apply it to your life. You know what? I'm going to try to think on positive things. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a verse in the morning, and then I'm going to try to think over that and mull it over. What does it mean? What does it mean to my life? Well, where can I find joy out of this verse? Where can, I, where can I fix something out of this verse? And if you steadily do that, I believe that, that you can begin to be satisfied with where you're at in your life. Um, and, and like I said before, satisfaction is not complacency. It's not being okay. Like, there's a lot of complacent people sitting in a basement playing video games. Like, they're pretty satisfied with that. But, but that's not fulfilling. Um, and I have a blank piece of paper at the end of this. So I don't know how to wrap it up other than to say, let's just, as a church, as individuals, let's, let's start applying these. And, and I'll be the first one to say, I need to do this. Like, I... You know, my wife and I had a little conversation a few months ago about, I was like, aren't you satisfied? Because I like doing things. I like being involved in this and that. And I shared in Sunday school, like I'm, you know, thinking about just selling my bow for a while and, and focusing on a couple other things because finances and attention and responsibility, like I'm just going to pick a few things to pay attention to. Or, you know, you're forgetting this hobby or forgetting this thing. I'm just going to focus on a couple things. We can, we can focus on being content. We can focus on fellowship. We can focus on all the other points that we, we talked about earlier. And then God can work in our lives. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray. And I'll, I'll leave a few moments at the end of the prayer so you can meet with God and pray. There won't be any music. There won't be, I won't be saying anything for a few minutes. But I want you to just, just pray and maybe ask God to point out the things in your life and the areas of your life where you can, you can uh, battle discontentment satisfaction. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have written things that are beneficial to us and that you have given them to us so that we can learn and grow. Father, I pray that in my life you would begin to weed out any discontentment. Lord, if you would point out any areas where, where I strayed um, from you or any areas where I am not trusting in you as I should. And Lord, allow me to fix those things with your power and with your help in my life. Father, I pray for those that are here today.
whether here in person or watching online, Lord, that they would do the same and that they would, through the process of weeding out this discontentment and anxiety and worry, Lord, that they would draw closer to you and that they have a sweeter fellowship and a, a better relationship with you throughout it. And Lord, if, if there's changes that need to happen in anyone's life in here, Lord, myself included, Lord, that you would just help us to sit still for a moment and to be okay with where we're at for a moment and allow you to direct our paths and for you to, to bring that change that we need. And Father, I just pray that you would bless everyone that's taken time to meet with uh, your church today. And Lord, you bless them throughout the week. 